0: And so what I think it's important for any business to do is to think about what are those critical steps, one. But the second thing is enable feedback to occur on the customer's terms at any point, not just points that you push out a survey on, but allowing that customer to give you feedback at any point that they desire on anything. Again, things that you may not have thought about. So it's really opening up the the game to enable feedback to occur on the terms of the customer.
1: Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. Well I'm excited uh, for my guest on this. Episode of the Delighted Customers Podcast, Matt Selby. And I'll let Matt introduce uh, himself, but we're going to get into a little bit of the strategy of CX, particularly in today's market and with some of the realities that companies are facing, some of the hardships. Matt's got some definite opinions on why traditional CX strategies may not be enough or may not be the right solution for what's what we're experiencing today uh, in the economy and in the world around us. So, with with that said, Matt, welcome to the show.
0: Mark, many, many thanks for uh, for having me on. I'm really looking forward to chatting, discussing, and and hopefully disagreeing. Um, but I enjoy your podcast enormously. So it's a big honor to have an opportunity for a quick chat.
1: Yeah. And so, are, are you? I think we talked about this. You're uh, uh, originally from the UK.
0: Yes, the accent gives it away, and we've been out of the UK for oh, 27 years now, and my background is largely with oil and gas, so BP, Conoco, ConocoPhillips, and all of that good stuff, and we've ended up uh, having had many moves in the wilds of the Pacific Northwest, specifically in Portland, in Oregon, known for its... uh what is it known for coffee and mm. beer probably or well, many other things but those two leap to mind
1: yeah um well the reason I, I asked about the uk is it seems like my friends from the uk you know like discord like combative discussions and like to, to challenge and, <laughs> and it makes for entertaining uh podcast episodes and, and also good discussion and i hopefully hopefully the audience they get them to think a little bit
0: very good yeah
1: so So tell me um, specifically what you're doing now and how you help organizations.
0: Sure, so I I mentioned that um, my background is is oil and gas. And one of the things that I was accountable for at my last uh, company was uh, the brands. Um, So this was for ConocoPhillips. And in the, the oil and gas world, when you think about petroleum sales, gasoline sales, the defection rates are staggering uh, across the board. So you're getting double-digit defection rates uh, easily across the board. So I don't know about you, Mark, and your background, but I don't know that many businesses that can thrive on a double-digit defection rate. So it got me thinking a little bit about what can a business do in order to stifle the defection rate and if you stifle the defection rate the roi is demonstrable because you now got a reservation of profit that you're actually uh, retaining so that was one prompt it got me thinking about that the second thing is um i ride a motorcycle so uh, that's a bit of a segue um, but i bought when we moved up here i bought a brand new motorcycle it's the first one i'd ever bought and lo and behold uh, eight weeks i'll say that again eight weeks after I bought this bike, I was called by a third party company. And we had the pleasantries. And then the first question out of their mouth was, Well, can you tell me how satisfied were you with the appearance of the sales technician? Now I don't know about you, Mark, but uh I have three children whose names I can barely remember at the best of times. I have no idea what I had for breakfast this morning. So if you think <laughs> I can accurately tell you whether this guy had a smile on his face or a pimple on his forehead. Give me a break. Yeah. So it seemed to me as though the, some of the tools, some of the strategies in place in order to get what's called point of experience feedback as a mechanism to curb defection were really out of kilter. And I'm not a huge fan of mystery shopping at all. That does absolutely nothing to solve that defection problem. So it seemed to me that there had to be a better way. And so in doing so, uh, I set up a company. The company is called Oberon 3, but our technology is called Opiniator, Opiniator. And it allows for feedback to be delivered at the point of experience by a real customer using their cell phone. Uh, the benefit to the business, uh, well, they get more data, uh, but two, the business can take an action. So if Mark is at a coffee shop, there is really no point in asking Mark tomorrow how the coffee he is drinking today is like. There's no point whatsoever. Because if Mark doesn't like his coffee, he will, one, have defected, And two, in this day and age, which is a new threat, of course, he's gone online and defected. So having feedback that can be delivered at the point of experience coupled with an action from the business allows the business to then connect with that customer, take an action, remove the risk of defection and of negative publicity online. So that's that's what we do, long-winded story but um, the initial seed was sown when we saw so much defection and that defection of course goes across many many different industries uh, here in the states and in europe as well yeah
1: so let me let me drill down on on that um one point of information so um when you say double digit uh defection rate are you talking primarily b2c or also b2b B?
0: both I'm talking both so for example in the world of B 2 C, we know that even in stuff like retail banking, where you would think they would be incredibly sticky because the costs of swapping to a different brand are actually quite high, I mean time and so on, the defection rate is about 12%. Now that's not an obvious number because what tends to happen is that Mark, the retail customer, doesn't automatically yank all of his money out and go from one band to another, but he typically will decline have a declining balance. And on the B2B side, it's the same as well. So it's harder to measure and the data is less public, but from our customer base, we know that defection is still as much of a problem as it's ever been. And I'd argue that it's actually going up because of some of the economic pressures that you and I and everybody else are probably seeing and more over experiencing right now. So this idea of defection is a real issue. And I've always thought that spending your marketing budget with the majority on acquisition was a pretty dumb idea because the economics of retention always outweigh the economics of acquisition.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agreed 100%. <clears throat> Um, in, um, you know, in his recent book, Winning on Purpose, Fred Reichel talked about this earned growth, the idea of earned growth model and right. the cost of purchasing customers versus earning customers. And mm-hmm. over a long period of time, maybe not even that long, a couple of years, if you went back and look at that cohort of customers that were purchased, they might not even be profitable, even if they're a little bit profitable versus those that were right. earned. They're spinning off, they're buying more share of wallet, they're at lower cost to serve, they're spinning off more referrals once they come on board. So, totally, totally different story. Um, I want to dig into this because there may be some people, I, I, you know, there's always skeptics in there. You and I talked about UK versus US skepticism, but, you know, some people are skeptical that actually the service levels are dropping. And I don't, I don't agree with them. I, I think overall, Service levels are flat at best after a pretty steep decline, uh, I would say, into, you know, the third year of COVID. Um, and they've just not recovered. Uh, do you agree? And if so, what would be, to to help people get their mind around this, what do you think are some of the primary causes of, um, you know, a, a, a sluggish service levels?
0: Sure, I, I think it's a great question, and I'm absolutely delighted you've stated it. I do think that some organizations, particularly when you speak to business owners, think that customers are fine. They'll always stick with me. You know, life is good. It's like when one of the first jobs I ever got in the States when I was a, a beardless boy of 21 was as a waiter. And I was a terrible waiter. I mean, just, a tr- I should never have got the job. And I got fired. Um, and that's not the story. The story is, I would go past the diner and say, "Hi, how is everything?" Now, a diner is not going to say, "Hey, the soup's cold." You know, my career's in a rut. You know, my, there's a fly in my soup. They're just going to say, "Hey, everything's great." So the business gets this false narrative, or really a false sense of confidence about what's going on. So let me let me outline what I think is the perfect storm mm. of disaster or disastrous influences. That I see right now, um, particularly post, post-COVID. post And there's really five elements or so. All of these are, are tangible. The first is that demand in most businesses has gone up. You know, the COVID staying at home thing is, is long since gone. People want to go out. So businesses see more foot traffic. That's B2B and B2C. The second thing, though, is we have had very high, historically high interest rates, and therefore cash is a little bit strapped for most people because the mortgages have gone up or maybe they're putting more money in CDs or what happens. And that really means that whatever money they do have on discretionary spend, they wanna make damn sure they're gonna get good value for money because the alternative is not going there. The third thing is that we've also had high inflation. This means that businesses, whilst they've tried to rein back the prices, most are forced to go up. And so, again, it's pushing the pressure on a customer to say, well, if in this high inflation, high interest environment, you better give me something that's good because it's not the status quo. Um, The big one that I think is affecting everybody is this incredible unemployment rate that we have. So I mentioned, or rather you mentioned, that we're in the sunny state of Oregon. Here, the unemployment rate's 3.5%, which is effectively full employment, which means there's no slack. And I don't know about you, Mark, when you go out and about retail, restaurant, hotel, whatever it happens to be, everyone is hiring. More to the point... The turnover rate is very high because employees will jump ship because somebody down the road is offering more. So many businesses are suffering from this high, un- excuse me, high employment rate, which means staff are harder to come by, and that's in every sector that we serve, from government through to healthcare. Um, the fifth one is that the Um, incidence of use of online reviews has gone up so that 98% of all purchases now, there is some online review considered beforehand and 96% of the American public now look for negative reviews. And that's up by 10% according to this study by Bright Local. So you've got this incredible pressure to perform At greater levels, with fewer staff, with higher consequences if you get it wrong, to customers who expect more. And service levels have therefore gone down. And you see it all the time. Um, So I would say that if a business is not focused on that point of experience, in your terms, what you just shared about Reichelt, this earned experience they're losing the plot and I suspect they're going to be losing profits. So those are the five things that we see that make up this perfect storm right now, which I think you really need to pay attention to no matter what business you are in.
1: So if you are a CEO and uh, listening, uh, hopefully there are a few listening to our our show um, and you're saying... nah yeah. Sales are flat, up a few percent, not hitting my goals, but you know, what could they be missing in those looking at uh, an income statement?
0: So I think one of the things that we would want to challenge any business on is really how do you know that you're delivering the offer to that customer that aligns with their expectation at the point at which you're delivering it? So don't don't start to ask questions after the event. Don't employ mystery shops to somehow get some pseudo view of what's going on. But really understand from the horse's mouth what is going on, how well stuff is being delivered, what's missing from the offer, and what can be done better. So for me, and you, you, I, I guess, hinted at this at the beginning we see a lot of customer experience strategy aimed at quite a high level. So things like, you know, journey mapping, for example, or highfaluting market research that looks at segmentation, stuff like that. And that's all well and good, assuming you have the resources to be able to deliver it. But I would still put that on the back foot relative to getting your day-to-day what Uh, I think is is often called the day-to-day blocking and tackling. The day-to-day delivering of the offer, week in, week out, of fries, of filling your teeth, of changing oil, or what happens. Because based on the environment that I've just described, it's a much more hostile environment. So if you don't get that right, you've got this double whammy, the financial whammy of someone leaving, And the second one, if somebody complaining online, and I've just said that there's a huge increase in the use of online tools as a proxy review to whether somebody will actually partake of your offer in the first place.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I would agree. And I think um, I I I wouldn't I would not have a CX roadmap uh, as part of an overall strategy. But if in that roadmap you don't have a sound listening strategy to collect feedback, mm-hmm. both the inner loop, the outer loop, we're talking about both, you know, the, the ability to close a feedback loop when you're asking a customer something quickly, mm-hmm. um, and also look at trends and how everything kind of fits together, big picture, and, and make those longer-term trends, then you're missing something. And I want before I ask specifically, I want to ask a follow-up question about. Um, this, this the importance of recency. You, you talked a little bit about I want to talk about this, this idea of recency in, in a, little bit, a little bit more detail. But I want to talk about polarization. And what I mean by that is you know, I've always heard that the only people who respond to a survey, for example, are people who are really happy or really angry mm-hmm. with their experience. Mm-hmm. Um, what? What? And, and, and because um, the way you described the uh, application uh, that, you, that you offer there is recency, but it's it's fairly easy, you can use your phone. What would you say to the skeptic who says, Well, I'm only going to get the really happy or the really unhappy?
0: people"? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a bit glib. I think it's one of those it's one of those sort of slightly warmed up arguments that people trot out. But it may and it may be true, there may be a kernel of truth for it. But I would turn it on its head and say, if you're after representative sample, then use a market research company. But the market research company is not gonna provide you data that allowed you to fix an issue on the spot. So in lieu of that, the way to get people to give feedback across all shades of gray, whether they're marginally unhappy, deliriously happy, pseudo happy, you know. You think about the bell curve of happiness, then ask for feedback on their terms, which means keep the feedback at the point of experience, make it easy, make it quick, make it on their terms and make it have an anonymous option. One of the biggest turnoffs that we see is feedback construction that insists that me as a business, I have to know your name, Mark. And therefore, I'm going to ask you for it six different ways, and your zip code, and your inside leg measurement, and your dog's maiden name. And I think that's completely BS. Mm. It's BS, because the more I ask of you, that does nothing that for you to take an action on, the more it turns you off, and the response rate goes down. So have these folk have an anonymous option as well. If they want to give feedback with a name, that's great. So ideally, feedback should be delivered at this point of consumption on a non transactional environment in a, less than a minute and a half. As soon as you go past a discussion of feedback, even remotely, that is using a cell phone that goes past a minute and a half, the response rate declines because people say, hey, look, dude, that's a minute and a half of my time. I'm just bored. So keep it short, keep it sweet. And then what we find, if you look at the bell curve of, say, some form of you know, rating question, one through five typically, or even the net promoter question, you're going to see much more of a representation where people score four out of five, three out of five, two out of five. And therefore, it destroys this myth about, They're only going to be, you know, I could smash a chair over your head and you're still going to be comfortable. Or the unhappy people who, as my grandmother would say, can find a bone in a boiled egg and are going to shout about it. So there are ways of dispelling that myth and actually achieving feedback results that can represent all shades of the spectrum. And after all, if you think about it, let's say, Mark, that you were at a coffee shop. We'll bang on about coffee shops for a bit. And let's just say that overall you were four out of five with the queuing or the courtesy that doesn't mean you're going to leave tomorrow but i'd still want to know about it because i'd want to know what i can do to make sure that you spend more at my coffee shop and less at joe schmo down the road so it's important that you know every shade of spectrum in terms of satisfaction levels
1: yeah well, a couple of things. One is, um, in, in that last, uh, piece that you shared, you, you, you slipped in both a, an American metaphor and a British one. Wow. Yeah. I, I heard blocking and tackling, which is football. Sorry for my UK friends. Um, and, <laughs> and blocking and, and blocking and tackling and then bone in a boiled egg, which is one I have not heard before. There you go. So that's bonus points. I'm going to put that in the show notes for those people following (laughs) following audio. Um, But I I wanted to talk about. um, I wanted to actually. I know you're looking for points of disagreement, but I actually wanted to affirm uh, what you said in in relation to B2B. And there's this myth that customers who love you are just going to give you glowing feedback um that's that's a misconception if you truly have an apostle you know a a company a brand a company or customer or customer really or client who who is an apostle of yours they love you they sing your praises they will provide you with feedback it'll be constructive because they want you to get better they're actually on your side of the table right
0: yep I, i i totally agree i think this idea of a free pass because somehow you're a devotee or an acolyte i think those days are long gone you know and uh, two companies leap to mind one is apple of course where you know you if you're an apple fan you wear the underpants as well and the other one is is harley davidson riders so harley davidson riders you know would would ride nothing else and spend ten thousand dollars of their own cash customizing a bike but i think those days are long gone and as i say on a b2b business Customers are incentive to provide feedback because it's in their best interest to do it, whether they get a better product or a better deal and so on and so forth. So the idea of a free ride, I think, I don't know where that came from, but I just simply don't see it anymore, particularly now with these pressures that um, I mentioned where there's enormous pressure on cost enormous pressure on time and enormous pressure because they just lack resources
1: well i mean i i used to you know these to do things like focus groups and, and round table for business clients and what i would get from from senior management different people would be i don't want you to cherry pick the clients who come in and i'm like okay but last time we did this they were the most vocal about the problems they have with us so right. i'm not worried at all if you if you want we can try our best to. Create some diversity in the pool, but it's not—it's not an issue. Let me let me switch to something else. I want to talk about. let um, yeah. relative to what what you you shared, and that is B two B. So I'm trying to, yeah. I'm trying to wrap my head. I get I get the idea of recency. I'm I'm with you on that. It's a, it's a, it's, a re- the, it's clear. The more recent the feedback you get, the more accurate, the more actionable, the more the higher response rate, all those great things that you talk mm-hmm. about feedback you're going to get. Um, and the mobile piece nowadays, look, we we do people have us shoot QR codes at conferences to get data, images, documents, whatever. we're We're using our mobile phones to do just about everything. so that that's a good way to leverage something that's become part of us. It's almost like, oh, well, it kind of is wearable. Um, in the b B yes. in the b two b space, right? So I think about an insurance company, that sells proper property and casualty insurance and they have, I don't know, an IT company they sell it to, and they've got different kinds of liability insurance, and they've got maybe succession stuff and ownership things. Um so how are you gonna how are you gonna or, or would this be still be an application? Explain to me how the application would work, if if in fact it would in a scenario like
0: Uh, Yes, because in any of the, whether it's B2B or B2C, you still have some form of a quote customer journey. That is some interaction along a defined path, or maybe that usually actually the path diverges. You know, there's usually some complexity in terms of how many steps and the variability of step within B2B or B2C. And so what I think it's important for any business to do is to think about what are those critical steps, one, but the second thing is enable feedback to occur on the customer's terms at any point, not just points that you push out a survey on, but allowing that customer to give you feedback at any point that they desire on anything, again, things that you may not have thought about. So it's really opening up the the game to enable feedback to occur on the terms of the customer. Again, B2B or B2C. So the insurance one that you spoke about is kind of an interesting one because you might buy insurance at various times. You might interact with insurance agents at various times. And that interaction may be good, bad, or indifferent when you phone in or call in or email. You might want to go to their website and find out some more information which you can't get hold of. So any point in that multiple ways in which a business interacts with another business should allow some form of feedback to occur no matter what. And while some may be reliant on cell phones, maybe an easier way to do it is to go online as well. The point is that you've got a mechanism there that one is symbolic of your caring, and two, it functions. But if you do this, Mark, my warning to you and those who may be kind of listening is you better put your money where your mouth is. That is, if you have a mechanism to request feedback and you do nothing with it, then shame on you. So one of the statistics that originally got me very intrigued, you know, post the disastrous motorcycle incident was, okay, okay. So how many businesses in the U.S. collect feedback across the board? And the answer is 95 percent. Okay, three cheers for your side. Well done. Let's go home. Here's the bad news. The bad news is only 10 percent of those businesses ever do anything with it. So give me a break. You have got to be kidding me. So, again, just going back to some of the CX stuff, we sometimes see great stuff being put in place, but nothing is done. And maybe the CX stuff was based on inertia or they were missold or the wrong strategies. But again, it comes back to what are you doing about it? Because if the customer has invested time and energy and thinking time and they don't see an improvement or at least an acknowledgement, then you've just shot yourself in the foot big time. So there is a caveat to what I say, which is if you invest in this stuff, even if you used a tool like ours, boy, you better do something about it as well.
1: Yeah, sound advice for sure. Um, Matt, can you share a specific example, an application of um, how, your, how your product works and what the benefits of the customer might be?
0: Uh, Sure. Well, I'll use, um, why don't we use a theme park as a customer? So we are in many different businesses. Uh, We sell uh, to the government, we sell to airports, hospitals. As you know, feedback is a bit like accounting, you know, every business should have it. So we're somewhat agnostic as to who we sell to. But uh, the attractions market is a good one for us. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I pick that, Mark, is because akin to your insurance um, idea, Mm -hmm. the customer journey in an attraction is quite complicated, from parking the car to visiting the gift shop, buying food, going to see the lions, you know, God knows what. So take that as a journey at any point in that journey there's an opportunity for you as a visitor to give feedback and the feedback is prompted through signage so there would be signs placed predominantly throughout the theme park requesting feedback the feedback can occur in a language you choose we we use english spanish portuguese and french with a device you already have which is the cell phone without an app so my dad who's 86 has got a flip phone that weighs as much as a house brick. He can give feedback as well. And the feedback can be specific to the interaction. So if it were about food service, then there's food service questions and so on. We're built on a full survey engine. So we have skip logic. But the key thing, the key thing that I think drives the value for that attraction is that if Mark, the visitor, is unhappy with, oh, I don't know, let's say you're at a museum and the exhibit is broken. You can state that without giving your name. The alert message goes within about 15 seconds to the right people who get alerted by text or email can come in, fix the issue, remove the hazard. And if Mark wants to be connected with, then you can give your contact details and you can be called. So within 15 seconds of an unfortunate and therefore unhappy customer, the business has an opportunity to act and frankly get the toothpaste back in the tube before Mark says, we're never gonna bring the kids here again. And by the way, I'm gonna say nasty things about it on TripAdvisor. So what we tend to see is the value proposition is always about immediacy of action. And the ROI calculator that we generally use, and we, we have one that's in Excel that has It's a sort of a waterfall uh, brick chart format we usually eliminate existing feedback costs i've been rude about mystery shopping before and i'm equally rude about point of sale surveys paper-based comment cards web surveys so we tend to replace those which is one cost saving the same tool can be used as an inspection device and of course you have the opportunity to reduce defection and the economics of that are very, very strong, as you mentioned at the, at the top of the program. Yeah.
1: Well, excellent. That was a great example. And, uh, next time, next time I'm at a theme park, I'll have to look for your, your, uh, feedback mechanism.
0: I'll well, then we'll look forward to your nice comments. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and timely, right? Timely comments. Um, so one last question, we got to land the plane here, uh, engaging conversation. I hope you're not disappointed that I couldn't find more points of disagreement with you, (laughs) but, um, I do, I do give you a nod for using an American football locking and tackling uh, analogy. What advice would you give to your 20 year old self?
0: So I think, that when I was 20, uh, while I was still at college, pretty green about the gills, I think I would be much more or would have been much higher skilled at listening. I think at that young age, there's a tendency, which God forbid you should see now, for folk not to really listen, they're tending to listen for certain words, which elicit certain thoughts and therefore certain responses. And I generally think conversations are much richer when you do more listening with more reflection. So you've probably um, uh, heard about kind of Rappaport rules, which are you should be able to replay the argument of your um, uh, opponent better than they can articulate. And so the first thing I would do is listen much, much more effectively. The second one, which I hope you don't think is counter to that, is be a little bit more irreverent. I do think that there are some sacred cows out there that should be put out to pasture if you want to continue that analogy or sent to the slaughterhouse if you want a more graphic one that I think are there because of inertia or you're too polite or reverent to the person that is saying them. I think there's an awful lot of junk out there that should be questioned earlier on. Um, so those are the two things. I hope they're not in conflict with each other.
1: No, and, I, and it's just interesting. You brought up the irreverence thing, and I was joking around my UK friends, and I've had a couple of UK guests from the UK, at least two or three now, three or four now. And uh, it's a similar thing: is that um, they're they're you you all are not bashful at all about challenging the status quo, which which I like. And um, but when I think about, and maybe I, I'm just a naive American, when I think about. The, British people, I think about how polished and polite, and the etiquette that that uh, British people tend to seem to value. So, what's the, what's going on there?
0: Well, I think I think manners maketh man. So, I think I think that's still true, still true of my generation. Now, you'd have to ask my children whether they they would agree with me. I think we are generally polite. I think we generally don't want to rock the boat too much. But I do think we can quite effectively challenge orthodoxy. You know, if you think about, you know, kind of Monty Python or That Was the Week That Was or any of these shows that are effectively satire, all they're doing, all they're doing is challenging the conventional wisdom and the mores that exist at that time that that, that may or may not be right now. I mean, you know, I'm sure you and I would agree, don't get me started on the Boston Tea Party or anything like that. You know what I mean? But, but, but
1: <laughs> more recently, like I think about The Office, which is exactly satire, which is exactly. making fun. And of course, another great show that we, I'm, I'm going to use the word stole from the UK. <laughs> but um, but there's a great example of of it. So um, I appreciate that. No, I, I think it's really important that we're honest as people who are in the CX professionals world, that we're honest about what's working, what's not, why challenge everything. And it may even be, it may even be okay. It works for this situation, but it's not going to work across the board.
0: I I, I totally agree. And and you know when when you and I first chatted, it's not as though I'm anti CX. I think that CX, if it's strategized well and thought through with relevancy to the organization and its resources, is 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 the way to go because it's a differentiator. Uh, and moreover, things like market research, segmentation. Um, some form of really good understanding of key driver analysis, absolutely critical. It's just that you have to think about strategy and time, timing and the environment. And all I'm saying now is that you may want to put some of that CX stuff to the side until you're absolutely convinced you can take care of the day-to-day operational and the second thing is, in parallel, you are absolutely convinced you are delivering on the expectations of that customer. And the only way to do that is with some form of actionable feedback tool. And until you've got those right, I think some of these higherfaluting CX strategies, you know, I, I, I just don't see a place for them. But they'll be the comeback kid. And when, when life is better, um, we will heat them up again and they'll be useful
1: yeah well and and what i would say is that this is cx strategy right that getting getting feedback and getting it quickly is all is all part of the cx umbrella right question of you know which we're talking about longer term things that are longer term on the roadmap or things that take a take a larger look at the overall operation and what needs to change and then what you're saying is hey you didn't use this word but when we talked before you did use this word which is crisis And from a customer standpoint, customers are experiencing overall a crisis because Mm -hmm. the service levels are so poor. And what you're saying is, hey, we got a leak in the boat, so let's not try and rearrange the uh, the the chairs on the Titanic. We got to put the leak out. And if you don't know, if you're not dealing with that on a day-to-day basis, um, you're gonna be you're gonna be getting uh, defection rates that are out out the
0: door you will and as i say defection has this double-edged sword of of uh, financial impact but now brand impact hmm. and uh, and the brand impact is I, I think is a is a killer so if you want to know the britishism you should be all over that like a bad rash
1: yeah right now went down too <laughs> <laughs> is that is that that word comes from the uk
0: you know i don't know i say that to my children and they look equally puzzled um, so uh, <laughs> You know, be careful how you use that one.
1: And appreciate it. I appreciate um, just the, the solution, the, the the uniqueness of it, and uh, the different way to approach solving a problem in, in, in our work.
0: Very good. That's Mark, it's so. been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Continue to put the stuff you do out because it's great. And I look forward to another conversation when times are better. Thank you, man. Very good. Thank you. Bye now.
1: Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content. And I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes. And you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com.